Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast-paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery. Welcome to episode eight of season two. We're coming from we're coming to you from the lovely Canmore, our base in the Rockies. And we have got a hostful to close out season two. We do. I know, I can't actually believe that it's the end of season two, but uh, I can't believe it's been so long since we've recorded a hostful. No, it has been a, a while. A long, long time. Well, yeah, and since we've recorded one, which was even earlier than when we released one. So yeah, it's nice to be back talking to you. Now, we sent shout-outs, not shout-outs, I'm not going to call them shout-outs, call-outs. This is such a nicer way of saying it. Sure. For, for questions, and we've had quite a few questions come through, which we're going to get through most, I'd say, in today's episode. Yeah, and I think the majority of those that I don't will almost certainly form the basis of some slow posts yeah. over the coming months because you guys ask good questions and sometimes I feel like I need to sit down and write my thoughts out mm-hmm. in response. So if we don't get to your uh, to your question in today's episode, perhaps either we've answered it previously or keep an eye on the slow post uh, and if you haven't subscribed to The Slow Post, you can sign up at slowyourhome.com slash slowpost. And it's just my weekly slow living love letter to you every Friday. How lovely. Before we get into the questions, though, we should talk about Mindful in May. Yes, this is the last episode that will be going out before Mindful in May kicks off because uh, obviously we're taking April off from the podcast. So as I mentioned last week, Mindful in May is a fantastic meditation program and uh, the obviously Mindful in May runs for the full length of May and it's a paid program but what they're offering this year in April is a free five-day meditation challenge and if you sign up for that you're not obligated to, to join Mindful in May although you may want to uh, so I'm just recommending that everyone join me I'll be doing it in April and I'm also doing Mindful in May in May and if you want to learn more about it, just head over to slowyourhome.com slash mindful in May and learn all about it. But top level reasons why I think it's an awesome program is that it's 10 minutes a day of guided meditation. There's some optional interviews that you can watch with uh, experts, meditation practitioners, and the money that you pay to participate in Mindful in May goes towards um, clean water projects in developing countries. And Elise and her team have done a phenomenal job over the last seven years. So that's why I'm always happy to support them. And again, this is the last you'll hear from us on it before the uh, trial starts and yeah. before the actual month of May starts as well. Exactly. So, the, yeah, the meditation challenge kicks off on the 8th of April. You have until then to sign up. Yep. Just head to that link and I will see you over there. Absolutely. All right. Let's get into these cracking questions. So as I mentioned in the intro, a large number of questions have come through, but the winner for question... <laughs> question of the season. Question of the season. Question of this hostful is, Brooke and Ben, when are you coming home? <laughs> or are you coming That's home? That's right. Or like, when are you planning on coming what home? What are your plans? All that. Yeah. So it's, it's all about when does the 
the the slow tour finish essentially exactly so we said before that we're recording this in Canmore and that is true but by the time this episode is reaching your ear holes we will be back in Sydney we there you go (laughs) so there's the answer to your question we um we uh, hopefully by now will have surprised our families by turning up on their doorstep at 9am on a Saturday morning. That's the big plan, isn't That's it? I'm thinking plan. like we've received about 20 questions about this and I think half of them are from family. Family and friends, yeah. <laughs> Just checking. Are you coming <laughs> back ever? So we, I mean, let's talk about that briefly then. Why did we decide it was time? So, okay, hang on. Let me paint mm. a picture. Mm. It is currently four days before we leave Canada when we're recording this, you and I. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of need to put ourselves in future Ben and Brooke mode as well which is a little bit hard because i've got a huge amount of denial happening right now but why even if we're not in future ben and brook mode why did we decide that the time had come to to finish up this amazing adventure essentially there were two reasons why i really feel and one first of them is probably the most important is that you just know that the time is is right Mm. and it was primarily based on the kids and how they were feeling and how this part of the tour was working and what was not working and what essentially sort of not tipped us over the edge but to tip the scales over to, yeah, we really need to be thinking about the kids' best interests. Yes. Because we've been nomads for, for more than a year, for, for around 14 months or even more when we sold our house um, back in 2017. Would you believe it? No, nope, I wouldn't actually, but wow. Yeah. Okay. So really we've been living the nomadic lifestyle for quite some time and the kids, while we've had semi-bases throughout our time Mm -hmm. overseas, you know, prolonged periods, it's never really, we never really settled down in the one spot for more than, say, a month. Yeah. So that's why, and and over time, I mean, that sounds sort of romantic. to. And and it's been wonderful. And Yeah, don't get me wrong, it's been wonderful. But... There's just a time where that switches from being like, wow, to, oh, you know, it's just a struggle to pack all your stuff and then move into another area and get familiar with that area. And it just became a little bit tiring and and frustrating for the kids. I think more than anything, the kids really, uh, after about 12, 13 months, really started to miss that sense of, Belonging um, in, a, and, in yeah, a space. and roots, yeah. you know, in a place. And to be fair, I have too. Just mm. in the last month or so, I've really found myself craving that additional layer of, like, level of, of home, you mm-hmm. know. And I think for the entire trip, home has been wherever we were. And that has worked so incredibly well. It has. For the... So long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For more yeah. than a year. Yeah. And it's just that... I mean, and I get it. The kids, they, the kids want to be able to develop those deeper friendships again. They want to be able to spend extended time with family. They want to go to places that they feel familiar and known, not just by us. You know, so it was just time. So that, I think that was the, the, the big reason. But there was another reason. What was that? The other reason uh, was my work, essentially. Like I just needed to be able to show my face. <laughs> There's a few important meetings coming up with some of my clients and I did think about going home and then and then coming back overseas. Mm-hmm. That sounds weird, going home. Going back, going back to Australia and then coming back home <laughs> to where you guys are. But um, it just didn't feel right. Yeah. You know, it just didn't, 
it just felt like I, we we need to be present and need to be physically there. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of uh, interest from our family uh, about our plans. <laughs> yes, there so is. So they're really interested in seeing us back home to, you know, tell us or ask us what we're going to plan on doing, where we're going to live, where this kid's going to go to school, what are we going to do? Well, there's, a, there's a whole heap of questions which we've been thinking about but we're not prepared in any way, shape or form to talk about. Essentially, we're going back to Australia to continue the slow tour or the slow experiment. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see what you mean, but it, it's with a, a, a goal, I guess, in mind. What's that? To find a place to settle eventually. Yes, exactly. But, but what we're going to do in the interest of being the great experimenters, is that a word? Now it is. We're going to, like, travel around different parts that, of Australia that have always interests us and you know, test the waters, test and see what that community is like, what what that would feel like. Yeah. So we'll still be moving around quite a lot. For a while. For a while. Yeah. But no, that's not going to be the permanent situation. No, We're all. very much looking for a community to settle down in and, you know, either rent a place or buy a place, mm. get the kids, we've asked the kids outright if they want to keep doing that they can't keep doing distance ed once we're settled, but would they prefer homeschool versus public school? And they both have said public school. So that's, you know, something else that we'll be taking into consideration when we settle. Exactly. It's been, and as you say, I'm not really, I don't, I don't think I'm clear enough on mo- no. most of what we've learned this year, but what we have done over the past 14 months is visited a lot of places that we absolutely loved and things about it that we loved. And we've kind of been collating this unofficial list in our heads of, what we're looking for mm. in a you know in a place to settle down, so that's probably quite a vague answer. But um, we don't know much more than that. Mm. And uh, what yeah. we do know is we're back in Australia. Exactly. We've surprised our family and friends, and we're settling into a a warmer into climate the, into the new normal, I guess. Yeah. yeah, and a warmer climate. Yeah, which would be good because we've all got colds. <laughs> all right. You want to move on? Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. All right. This first question um, sort of relates to what we're talking about. And uh, while we said it's too early to do like a huge big reflection on what we've just done over the last 14 months, what are you most proud of over the last 14 months? That is a really good question. And I don't know if I have a a solid answer. Mm. I mean, I'm just, I'm proud of the fact that we did it. We did talk about this only like a couple of days ago. You and I, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, look, I'm not going to be the person who stands here and says, it's really hard to travel for a year with your family because we are so lucky Mm -hmm. to have been able to do it. But the reality is that when you are working and traveling and schooling and you're working Australian business hours and all the, it's more complicated in some ways mm. than I would have imagined mm-hmm. and far less complicated in other ways because our time is our own, Yep. you know. Yep. So I think that being able to have flexibility, both you and I, and kind of letting go of our expectations and our even our preferences a lot of the time mm-hmm. and making it work mm-hmm. and making it work in a way that we loved and mm-hmm. that was enjoyable and that was fun and that was you know, such a positive experience, I'm, I'm proud of because it's not easy mm. to remove all the structures from your life that keep things 
contained and go, okay, like now what? Yeah. It's, it's, it's not easy. It's, uh, it's very challenging but super rewarding. Uh, and I think I'm really proud of the fact that you were able to continue working the way you did for as long as you did. For as long, because 14 months of working Australian business hours while we were in North America, that, I couldn't do it. Mm. There is no way I could do what you had done. So I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. That's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of that as well. Um, but overall, I think I'm, well, I'm just really proud that we've done it. Mm. Like we set a goal to do it. You know, we years had ago. a dream years ago of doing it. And the fact that we've actually done it and it's, worked and we're still sane and we're we've, we've, happy we're we're happy yeah exactly and that we've learned from a lot of experience we've taken a lot of away from you know what we don't want to do when we get back to australia and what we do want to do what we want to prioritize mm. the amount of growth that we've done is is incredible the growth that you've done and being able to get out out of your comfort zone and essentially tour different places with your book talks podcasts you know it's it's so, like, if you know you, like, it's so far removed from what we planned five years ago, as in, like, beyond our wildest expectations. Yeah. Really. Like, in the end, it really has blown everything out of the water. But I'm just so glad we had a goal and that we've essentially achieved that goal. Mm. So I think it's, that's the biggest, like, I'm just so proud of that. Yeah. It would have at, at any given time there would have been a hundred reasons why we stopped working towards this, yeah. and we didn't exactly. All right, here's another question: Do you get scared that you might go too far with the changes you've made? I'm trying mm. to keep them very broad at the mm. moment before we get into some real specific type questions, but yeah, almost to the fact where like we don't have a for an example, we don't have a home to go to when we go back to right. Australia. Yeah. Do you think we've gone too far in that before we left, we sold the house and now we don't have anything to go back to? We don't have those roots? No, I look, I don't get scared. Uh, I, so I, and I don't even really wonder what the flip side of those decisions would be, yeah. you know, because I'm, I'm pretty adamant that once you make a choice, there's no point in second-guessing those choices. Mm -hmm. I think that that's where a lot of regret and indecision lies. And I think that if I would allow myself to sit in fear of the decisions we've made, that changes everything. Because I think once you're fearful, once you're in that scarcity mindset, you behave really differently to when you're in a mindset of abundance and I think that being scared of going too far would just keep me in that scared, scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. So, no, I don't. I mean, there are, don't get me wrong, there are times where I feel like other people think we've gone too far. Yeah. But the beautiful thing that I've realised that I've learnt this year, particularly, but over the past few years, is letting go of expectations, both our own and other people's, actually removes a lot of that fear. Yeah, okay. You know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah removing what what other people think we should be doing as a consideration means that it's just like let's just see what happens 
Yeah, it's a very good question, though. Do you ever feel like concerned or scared that we go too far in those changes? No, but uh, it's a normal concern and scared about just life in general. You know, when you just have those concerns, like it has nothing to do with like no regrets. I'm a big no regrets person. And the changes you and the decisions you make at a specific time are the right decisions. And you just back those decisions. So I never go back and go, oh, what if, what if, what if. No, neither of us do. No. So no, I'm I'm not. And I'm not not scared at all. I, I like taking things too far sometimes and going, whoa, like, you know, I'm really uncomfortable in this position, but just being present in that position and, and trying to unpick why you're uncomfortable. That's what I'm talking about with this this whole last 14 months has has put us in such uncomfortable situations that we're just not used to, but we've just had to sit there and be and just work out why you feel uncomfortable. And then after a while, it doesn't feel uncomfortable anymore. No. It becomes the new normal. It becomes normal or, or it just becomes something that you've processed through. So no, I don't think so. I do think, though, that you raise a good point. I think we both have that contrarian streak in us. Mm. Both of us sort of have, if someone tells us that we shouldn't do something, that's a really good indication that we'll probably try and do it. That's true. And I think both of us have that in different ways. Mm-hmm. So that could also be, it could just be down to personality, the reason that we don't find ourselves worrying about taking things too far but also honestly the the changes that we have made in in our life you know like slowing it down and reprioritizing and aligning with our values they've all led to such positive things that it's hard for me to go into it terrified because I I can just see all the goodness that happens like Mm -hmm. you said they can be discomfort there can be uncomfortable conversations. There can be people who don't get it. There can be relationships that don't make it through those changes. Mm-hmm. And I get why that is something that people worry about. But if you're looking at it from a perspective of living a life of intention, living a life closer, you're more and more closely aligned to your values and you're doing it for the right reasons, it's it's not something to be scared of. It's something to, to kind of be, it's, it's a homecoming. Yeah, exactly. Again, here's another like big picture question creation of the universe question okay how do you work towards big goals slowly okay well, we, talk, we talk we spoke about the goal of yeah being over here and we well, made the, that we made that five years ago so how do we work towards it in a slow sense i think the answer to the question is in the question itself mm. how do you work towards them slowly you do it slowly mm. And that is counter to everything that we have been taught and everything that is exemplified in society today. Doing something slow yeah. is not, it's not sexy, it's not impressive, it's not something that you can, you know, easily show people. That kind of sustainable, slow grind towards a change. So that we often feel like that's not good enough, like that we carry impatience into those changes from the get-go. And I'm absolutely guilty of that myself. Mm. There would have been times that you and I had spoken about our plan to for you to quit your job and become self-employed. And there would have been times in that three years that it took us to get from conversation one to actually doing it where I was so impatient. Mm-hmm. Were you? Of course. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's me. Yeah, and that's it. Impatience is kind of one of my yeah. things. And much the same, working towards this trip. 
there were times where I, I was very impatient. And I think what I learned is that it's inevitable that you're going to have those moments of patience, but moving through them and getting to the other side and letting go as quickly as possible is actually part of the process as well. And just acknowledging that you are doing things now, today, mm. that the payoff may not be seen for another year or two or three is really important. And instead of feeling bad about that, and I had a really interesting conversation with Meg Berryman last week about ego and wanting to see the results of our work right now. Straight away. Yeah. And it's a very modern thing and it's a very kind of self-centered thing to do. What if we took our current self out of the, you know, the question of impatience, the question of I've got this big goal and I want to get there yesterday, take ourselves out of it and instead put future self there, you know, and kind of remove our ego a little bit from it. We don't need everyone to know that we're working towards these goals. Mm. We just need to do something every day getting us there. And I think, I mean, look, I think practically speaking, the other thing that has always worked for us is to chunk goals up. Yeah. You know, yeah. have like, if you're saving to go for a trip and you think it'll take you two years, start a savings program, you know, and tick a box or cross out a thing or colour in a, a picture or whatever it is every time you kick that mini goal or make a contribution to, to reaching that goal and watch your progression. Because mm. even though it doesn't feel like you've made any progress, you have. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is another question that's come up and it's uh, touching on some of the stuff you just said, is that how do you balance those long-term goals with living in the present? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a matter of not allowing those goals to overtake, to take over everything else. And, again, I've been guilty of this myself sometimes. If you get too caught up in the future, what your future wants, what you want your future to hold, what you envision for your future, what you're working towards, whatever it is, you take yourself out of what's happening in the present moment. So I think the, again, the the suggestion of an answer is kind of in that question is like learning to or developing a present moment awareness practice. Yeah. And, and, and practicing that every day, multiple times a day, even if just for 30 seconds on the bus, tapping into what is happening in your body, you know, your five senses. When you get home from work and the kids are telling you about their school day, actually listening, even though you've got other things on your mind, like actually completely and actively listening to what they're saying, uh, sitting down for dinner and talking through something you're grateful for for the day. You know, all of these things are essentially helping you to cultivate present moment awareness in different ways. And I think that if you, the more of that you have, the more you're able to compartmentalize these future big goals that you're working towards and say, well, this is something that, that, yeah, we're working towards and I've done my thing for that today and there's nothing else I can do for this goal today. So spending two hours looking at travel websites when I'm not going for two years that's actually not a great use of my time. That's so true. You know, and I think because that robs us of what we're working on today or what is important today. So really understanding what's useful and realistic to do for that long-term goal today, doing it, and then spending the rest of your day present. Yeah, you know? that's really nice. What's the next thing you would add or removed on your journey to slow? Ooh. What would you add or remove on your journey to slow? This is the last of the big picture questions. Okay. It's an interesting thing to think about knowing that in a couple of days, a couple of weeks, we're back in Australia. 
Yeah, you know, I think there's two things for me. Um, personally, I'd like to add a regular yoga practice back into my day mm-hmm. because that's something that, I mean, I bought a yoga mat when we arrived and I've done, I have done it, but it certainly hasn't been like it was at home mm. where it was a part of my everyday without fail. Yep. And I, I miss it. Yeah. You know, five minutes of like deep breaths and stretching. It's fine, but you just want to get into some like, I do. yoga. Would you, yeah. would you join a yoga class? Oh, studio? definitely. Yeah. yeah. So that's what you want to do. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then develop like a really strong home practice as well. Yeah. So that's one thing that I'd like what to add. What would you remove? It's not even necessarily a removal. It's um, I've learned a lot this year about how to work more slowly and more cleverly and efficiently. And it's something that I've never been good at before. And that is to work quite a way ahead, mm-hmm. you know, and to batch my work and to spend time thinking about what needs to be done mm-hmm. and then actually doing it not at deadline, you know, doing it a month ahead. And working uh, on the podcast as a season has been a perfect example of that. So that's something else that I'd really like to weave into how I work and make sure it becomes part of our work rhythm once we are settled and we are, we do have the opportunity to actually establish one of those work rhythms again. Mm. And, yeah, I think those two two things would make an enormous difference because not only do they impact the moment that I'm doing it, but both yoga and working in a way that is more spacious and less uh, rushed affects my headspace and my stress levels and my health and mental health as well. What about you? I would remove living out of a suitcase. (laughs) Would you? (laughs) Well, you're in luck. No, in all seriousness, the part that I would remove is that it's sort of aligned to yours. Is it? I feel like there's. It's just been day to day. I feel like we don't actually have a goal moving forward, really. Okay. Like a goal. Like what? What I feel empty at the moment is having something to work towards. Because when you think about it, we spent the last five years working towards this, mm-hmm. and now this is coming to an end. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what my goal is next. Like I don't know. I've got a rough idea. But I haven't, like, what's the priority? What's the big picture look like? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do, I do know what you mean. So how are you combating that? Like, what are you doing to work Well, I'm being that? fair with myself and saying, why don't you just get through this, you know, pretty finish emotional this. time yeah. over the next couple of days, finish it, finish it on a high, and then start fresh when you're, when you're back in Australia. And we've had conversations, and I know you've said this to me before, that you're kind of a little bit at a loss because we don't have that very defined goal mm. like we had. Mm. You know, it was you quitting That goal job. was a family member. <laughs> they were like a family that, member. Yeah, and you know what? They were I think ever there present. Will, there will be and a sense of um, loss there for a mm. while because we don't have yeah. that thing to talk about. Yeah. But I, there will be something else that comes along and I think it's just learning to be patient and allowing that to clarify and giving it a bit of space. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, you and I have spoken a lot over the last couple of months about what those priorities will look like, what we imagine life to look like. That's true. You know, yeah. and I think that that will form the basis of, of the new goal or the new vision or mm. whatever you want to call what, it. What that looks like. Yeah. yeah. And I want, I want that new goal vision to be like not just about us. Yes, that's something. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's not, it's not like almost like a personal goal. It's more like a everybody goal okay anyway so yeah that that would be nice to add add a goal and add something tangible to to work towards that's just the way i like to work i guess yeah and i'm i'm looking forward to 
to not work in crazy, crazy hours. hours. And taking up a hobby again. Yeah, okay. Like playing a guitar, having space to be able to like play a guitar and rock climb or mountain bike or just do something like, not that we haven't been very active, but do something that I've really enjoyed in the past. I think I'm, I'm missing that piece. Hmm, okay. All right. So let's get into some more quick fire questions All right. and answers. Quick fire, it's my strength. It isn't. <laughs> Do you have any tips for managing anxiety about the upcoming uni semester? Oh, that's a good question. I think there's I mean there's a lot of small things that you can do to manage anxiety. And I'd suggest incorporating maybe one or two of them into your day and just seeing how it helps. So taking a walk every day in nature if possible but at least getting outside breathing deeply not listening to a podcast not listening to music just either going for a walk in nature like a forest bathe a forest bathe bath or a flinner like a, an urban wander where all you are doing is simply noticing the details of things around you and if you can do that for 10 minutes every day that is essentially a mindfulness exercise that takes you out of your head takes you out of your anxiety about the upcoming semester or deadlines and into your senses. So I think that's something that can really help a lot uh, in managing any kind of anxiety. But also I I really do think that having a, a good plan in place, much like I was just talking about with work, could also help alleviate some of that anxiety. I mean, if you're able to look at what your weeks look like and nominate or highlight any like bottlenecks or any hotspots that could be potentially quite stressful. Mm. Think about what you can do, practically speaking, in your life to prepare for those days, those weeks, and that make them easier for Very you. Very nice. So yeah. even just things like meal planning and preparation could really help with that. You know, if you can preload your freezer with 10 meals and pull them out the morning of that stressful day in the week or the morning of, you know, your first exams or whatever it is, just start to, to do things that future you will be grateful for. And I think that will help kind of keep that, that anxiety, that stress to a minimum throughout the, the term, the semester as well. And the other thing I think that, that helps tremendously with anxiety can just be journaling. It can be simply like a free-flowing stream of consciousness journaling or a gratitude journaling or whatever it is that works for you. And again, removing you from the, or actually, it doesn't even necessarily need to remove you from the anxiety. It allows you to put it on the page. It does. And once it's out there, for me anyway, my anxieties typically feel less insurmountable when they're on the page. I start to think about solutions. I don't just get mired in the panic. I start to think about ways around it. I start to think about different ways of thinking about it. So yeah, any of those I think could be helpful. Not a quick fire answer. Okay, here's another quick, quick fire question though. What act of simplifying has had the biggest impact on your mental wellness? Now I'm going to kick off de-owning for me. Just de-owning stuff is not only a physical release, but it is a, like a like physical, like you don't see it anymore, and then mentally, like just letting go of things mm-hmm. is so freeing and for me was the biggest change or insight that I got to the whole process of, of simplifying my life. For me, it's letting go of thoughts, thought patterns and stories that I've told myself. 
even now at night, I will find myself doing this every night almost. Laying in bed, thoughts come in, you know, things I hadn't done during the day, stress, anxiety, worry. And now, thanks to meditation, I have learnt to physically feel myself letting go of those thoughts. I lay in bed and I feel my shoulders hitch up. I physically release, like I deep breathe, Mm -hmm. I exhale and I drop my shoulders and I let go of those thoughts and it helps every time. And that's what meditation taught me. So for for me, it's probably more mindfulness and meditation. It's made an enormous difference to the way I react, the way I view myself, the way I, I behave in like my family, in community, wherever, is releasing those stories. And those stories can be anything. How do you stop being addicted to your phone? Lock it in a box and swallow the key. Out of sight, Actually, I'll link to it in the show notes because there was an article in the New York Times last week about a tech journalist who... Uh, he he broke up with his phone and he fixed his brain. That that was essentially what mm. he said mm. uh, in the broke up with because it's such an interesting concept because the your phone wants to act like a person. It wants to be personified. It beeps at you. There's a you know it talks to you. It talks back to you. It lights up. You know it wants to be held in your hand. It wants to be you know besties all the time. So it, it's trying to act like a person. So you need to depersonalize the phone. It's like. I don't like, it's almost like talking to us. Like, I don't like what you're doing mm. to me. Like, I don't, I don't like the way that you make me feel. And, and it's almost like just vocalizing those in your, those feelings in your head. Yeah. Cause you treat it, it wants to be a person. So treat it as a person. You wouldn't put up with that. That's so true. You would not put up with a friend or someone doing what the phone does to you. Wakes you up in the middle of the night. Yeah. You know, needy, needy, bright lights. You know, what an obnoxious friend this thing is. <laughs> I like it. So I will link to that. But I think there's a couple of things that you can do, and you nailed it. The first thing that you can do is write down how you feel after spending time on your phone. Do you feel elated? Do you feel informed? Do you feel uplifted, empowered? Or do you feel negative? Do you feel tired? Do you feel depressed? Do you feel lonely? Do you feel disconnected? And judge, first of all, how your phone's making you feel. And then I'm going to link to a second article as well um, about Silicon Valley uh, workers who, yes, they're the people who create this wonderful technology that we all have in in our pockets. They actually, there is a growing number of people who work in Silicon Valley who will not use it. Mm. They will not use smartphones. They do not use social media because... They are fully aware of the fact that what they are creating and selling to us is far too addictive for us to be able to handle. And that really pisses me off. It really does. And I use that, those two things. How is technology making me feel? And who's, like, who's behind this? What do they have to gain by my addiction to my phone? And use that as motivation to make change. Because I, like, my time is mine. Mm. Your time is yours. Take ownership of it. Stop giving power to your device or to those industries, to those people who have devised algorithms that simply get us on the scroll. But those two articles that I I mentioned I'll link to as well, particularly the first one, has some really good suggestions on how to break up with your phone. But that's perhaps something we can talk about in depth one episode. Yeah, might be a good slow post as well. True. 
Ding. <laughs> Don't send me notifications. Um, would you like to come over for dinner in Radley, North Carolina? I would love to. Yep, yep. me too. Just book us a flight and we'll be <laughs> Exactly. Um, what would life look like now if you've never discovered slow living? It's a hard one to answer because... Obviously, I don't know what other decisions and choices we would have made had I not discovered slow living. But let's say all things being equal, uh, I just that was the only difference. I'd seen a psychiatrist as I did when I was diagnosed with postnatal depression but never made that leap, never made that discovery. I just don't think that I would be anywhere near as content or happy. I think I would still be trying to keep up with probably a new set of Joneses every year. Yes. You know, I'd, yes. I'd, I would have probably gotten really deep into like the, the online wellness bubble, yep. um, but not necessarily with the best of intentions, but not necessarily adopting and uh, not necessarily actually taking the, like the good stuff yeah. out of it, but like still feeding into that comparison trap and that keeping up and who's meditating better than that, that than like the next person. That is the and, best thing. Who's, who's a better meditator? You know, who's living more mindfully yeah. while also simultaneously Instagramming it. Yeah. Like, I, 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 just knowing myself, I would have been looking for solutions, but I probably definitely would have been looking at the external factors rather than doing the deep inner work that slow living has allowed me to do. And over time, you probably would come back to slow living anyway. I, I, I'd like to say that I would. Because it just it's it's home, you know. It's the most it makes the most sense. Mm. Just living with intention, and I was always someone who would be happy to look for solutions when I was ha- having problems. So I would have been online looking for these solutions, but I just think that I would have come up with the wrong solutions for me. They would have been very, yeah, as I said, a shallow fix to a deep problem. Oh, nice is what I would have found myself doing and probably spending a lot of money trying to do it. Mm. Yeah. How do you stay slow on a busy commute? I might handle this one if that's okay. You go right ahead. I used to use the Insight Timer. It's a good one. It is a very, very good one. Essentially meditate with your eyes closed. Really close your senses off because commuting, yeah, it can be really, really boring and, and kind of stressful if you're on your laptop and you're working or, you know, you're thinking about work. But... I always found closing my eyes was really helpful, just shutting off one of those senses. So then I could then, you know, put all my thought into meditating. Did you do guided meditations? Or? Yeah, mostly guided because I struggled with just bells. Yeah, okay. Well, fair. I can understand yeah. that particularly and being particularly on the train. Particularly the train. You sort of want, because you get that noise anyway. Near, ear cancelling. Ear cancelling. Ear cancelling. I cancel your ears. <laughs> Noise cancelling headphones mm-hmm. would be a reasonable investment as a commuter. Um, I never had them, but I, I would say that they would be really, really helpful. And if I was still commuting, I'd probably do that. So would you recommend not working on your commute or at least having a period of your commute where you intentionally switch off from work? Yeah, well, I was told by my doctor that I couldn't essentially work on my commute anymore because I was having panic attacks. And, yeah, as soon as I stopped working like treating that as additional like work getting time. work done. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it was inevitable that you would have to do that. But, yeah, as soon as I stopped doing that, I, you know, my mental health improved a lot. Yeah. Okay. So meditation and at least having some part of your commute as non-work. Yep. Okay. How did you get started writing a book? 
<laughs> this is a quick fire one. Uh, so, okay, let me go back to the, my first book, Destination Simple. I actually wrote that as an ebook six years ago and then have had since as a, um, a publisher was interested in publishing it, I reworked it and, you know, worked with them on that. But I, essentially the first version of Destination Simple was written over 30 days. And I, I printed a plan off the internet. It was like how a to how write. to write an ebook plan. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And it was great. I, I followed that. I had a, a kind of a rough idea of what I wanted to, the book to be and how long I wanted it to be. And I'd bought quite a few ebooks by then, so I knew, you know, what the structure could, could potentially be. So it was a uh, <laughs> like a pretty old school guide on how to publish an ebook written by Ali Luke. Uh, I think it's still available online. I do, I do not don't don't say that I sent you. Like I'm not entirely sure if it's going to be very helpful anymore. This was seven years ago. Yes. So, but that's how I did it, and it was very much a procedural process for me. Mm-hmm. Like slow, on the other hand, was uh, much more digging deep into my stories and my experiences. And I just I I uh, was asked to put together a proposal. By a publisher. So, what does a book proposal look like? Well, mine included the entire introduction to the book and then chapter outlines. And it changed a little from there, but uh, pretty much the the structure held. And is that typical? I think so. Right. I've only done it once, but I think so. It's typical for a non fiction book? Yeah, a a novel is very different. A fiction book, you essentially write. Well, they at least want to see the first two or three chapters, I think. Uh, And even then, for a first-time author, that you probably want pretty to see pretty much want to see the whole thing. Yeah. That's as my knowledge is not very deep on that, but yeah. So that's what my book proposal looked like. It took about a month, I think, to put together that proposal. I had been thinking about books previous to that, so it wasn't completely new idea. And once I'd put the t- proposal together and they gave it the green light, I just I would sit and I would write. It was a very messy process for me. I didn't follow the structure of the book. I didn't necessarily write chapter by chapter. I just wrote where I was inspired to write and it came together eventually. And it took me about six months of writing to put the book together, to put slow together, I together. should say. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, another three months of editing and, and rewrites with my team. Have the kids been homesick? Oh, yes and no. They went through periods where they really were homesick but I think we've been very fortunate that we've had family visit throughout the trip as well and that has helped a lot I think that they missed certain things about home they very rarely spoke about like the house or they miss their cousins they miss their friends they're homesick for just to see familiar people I mean every time we did have guests they lit up and they loved that yeah and and I I think think that helped did it helped kind of soften it yeah, if we didn't have that, they would be terribly homesick yeah. by now. And sort of once our last visitors left, it wasn't really that long. We did a road trip for a month and by the time the road trip had finished, we had decided that it was time to go home. So there really wasn't a big stretch of time where we were away. Uh, the book tour would have been the longest time that we went and I don't think they were homesick then, but we were on the move every day. Because when we're in places like Canmore and, and you know, still and, and stable for a month or two, that they would start to think about it. And I think that's a good indication because we were honestly open to 
moving here permanently if the kids loved it. And that was a very good indication that they love Canada, but home is always going to be Australia. And we weren't prepared to uproot them permanently because it was pretty clear that they missed home and they miss our dog and I miss our dog. I can't wait to see him. It's been pretty cute. The kids have tried every time we say like, oh, there's only, you know, a week left in Canada and all the, you know, we've been talking about it a lot. And it's so cute because they know that we're struggling Mm. as in we don't really want to go. Like deep down we're sort of like, oh, yeah, very, you know, sad to see this chapter close officially. So they've been like, oh, it's going to be really sad. But it's going to be so exciting. Like they they're just really trying to sell up. it, aren't they? You know, like it's, but I mean, they're so perceptive. It's sort of gorgeous to, to see. And I've been proud of them. They've been very resilient. They've been incredible, honestly. Yeah. They have grown, speaking of growth and, and being proud, yeah. to see them and to watch them grow and um, kind of grow into their personalities and their confidence has been phenomenal. It has. Yeah, it's been awesome. And I think that will hold them in really good stead, not only this year as we start new beginnings, but, you know, as they go through their tween and teen years, just to have that sense of self and allow themselves to take up space, I think will be a gift. Hmm. Would Ben ever see himself being an employee in the corporate world again? (laughs) Yeah, Ben, would you? Um, Not in the role that I was doing, that's for sure. I can't really see myself doing that and that's not where my focus is at the moment but never say never. But I don't think it will ever be in public relations and communications and marketing role, put it that way. And that's as far as I'll go into that question. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What's your favourite podcast episode? Of our podcast? Yeah. I mean, that's what I think the question is. Yeah. Oh, that's tough. That's like choosing a favourite. It's not like choosing a favourite kid. I was going to say, <laughs> don't say that. I was going to say choosing, choosing a pair of favourite pair of shoes or something. Uh, hmm. I, look, I love the episode that you and I did, you know, the interview with Ben. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was really wonderful. But I also I have such fondness for all of the season two episodes. I was going to say season two, and we've had a lot of feedback. Thank you very much for that. And people are loving season two. And I must admit, I'm loving it as well. Yeah. The the breadth of conversation has been really interesting. Like I, I, I just feel that the, the the season, the way you've worked the seasons, I think really works I hope well. So. Yeah. But then I think all the way back to like the very beginning, the first year, and I've, there's so many cracking conversations. I don't know. I loved my episode with Sarah Wilson. I loved my episode with Jackie Carr. Last week's episode with Meg, Jojo. Like it's, I can't choose. So you choose. don't have a favourite episode? I can't choose. My favourite episode is is whenever I'm speaking to you. Aww. Actually, I loved the one where we um we read my Hobbit, Hobbit poem. poem. I was actually <laughs> going to say the Hobbit poem back in Christmas 2016. So dorky. So funny. All right, here's a question for you. What is the soundtrack to your lives right now? Oh, that's a good question. So on repeat, currently listening to John Butler's new album called Home. And it's the <laughs> yeah. irony is not lost on us. Like yeah. it's I feel like um that album did what our family had been trying unsuccessfully to do, like our extended family, for a year, and it actually made me homesick. Yeah, it was bizarre. Hey? And the way that we heard, I mean we first heard it, but we were both tattooed to this album. 
Yeah. I've been tattooed in, in Canmore by the lovely Corson, Corson Hayes. And, I mean, I've heard John Butler before. He's like, have you heard the new album? And he played it and it was like, it, he just sounds homesick in it. You know, there's a lot of he's riding on the road and he's talking about home and yeah. And yeah, just like you, it's just like, oh wow, this feels so like John is telling us what's going on right yeah, now. Yeah, just to have an artist put out into the world at the exact time you need it, something that resonates so deeply during something that is going to be like so permanent, so permanent. Like it was just the way that it, anyway, yeah. So it's been John Butler, it's been Shred Kelly, always Shred Kelly, our folk rock, our favorites from favorites. Fernie. Weezer's new album, the Teal album, that's been a soundtrack. Odessa, all Odessa's songs. <laughs> Odessa's um, albums, the whole Albums, trip. which has been re- they're really nice to drive to. They're like a – it's easy listening. It's, it's really it's easy. It's like, yeah, easy listening EDM. EDM, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Mill and Colin's new album. Mill and Colin. It's been massive. Like the, our soundtrack has been huge, but the, the constants, I think, over the whole year has been Odessa, Shred, Shred Kelly. Kelly. Middle Coast. Middle Coast, a great band out of Winnipeg in Canada. And I've got a Spotify playlist, or like an acoustic one. Jack Johnson? And yes. Jack yeah, Johnson actually, has Jack been, Johnson's been, been part, part of, of it. Uh, yeah, that acoustic Spotify playlist and my 60s Spotify playlist as well. If there's one song that you've listened to on those playlists, I don't know, that you'll remember associated with this trip, what would it be? Archipelago. Okay. By Shred Kelly. For me, it's Darling Sides, Hold Your Head Up High. That, that makes me sad. Oh, no. It just makes, yeah, just, I can almost picture where I am listening to that song in various times. I, I remember one time we were in Maine and we are just driving mm. up and, I, like, I hit it repeat, like, three times. It's just funny how songs will always now be associated with this trip. That's for, for us. that We do that all the time. Music, I think, forms a huge part of remembering for us. Mm. There are, you know, eras of our life, trips, you know, experiences like this that will always be tied to, to music. So while I know that was like a lighthearted quick question, it's actually something I think on pretty a lot. Deep, pretty deep question for us, I agree. If you could have to choose a star in a movie about your lives, who would play you oh. and who would play me? I would like Lauren Lapkus to play me because I love her so much. And she's cuter than I am, but, like, she's quirky and sweet and dorky. And what, who would pay, play me? Ben Schwartz. <laughs> or Thomas Middleditch. I think Tom, Thomas Middleditch for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for you, Pamela Anderson. <laughs> My God. Could you get more like teenage boy in the 90s, Heather Locklear? <laughs> Actually, I take it back. Mike Myers can play you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is the last question. I've saved it for last two because it's such a cracker. Um, if you had the world's attention for 30 seconds, what would you say? Oh, so something more eloquent than this, but this is essentially what I would say. We're all part of something. Like every individual person, every individual molecule on this planet, in this solar system, in this universe, is part of something together. And I think that when you recognise that, it changes your entire perspective on the way that you live and the way that you act. And it also, for me, has this huge impact on how we feel about ourselves 
because we all walk around feeling like we're not good enough. We all walk around feeling like we're not enough. But when you look outside of it, of yourself and realize that you are a part of something enormous and beautiful and miraculous, it's much harder to feel like you're not enough because you are exactly as you are meant to be. You are your part of the universe. And I think if we all recognize that, it would change everything about everything. <laughs> what would you say? For me, it's something like, again, much more eloquent <laughs> than this, but right now in this point in time, in the history of world and mankind, we all have the power and knowledge to change the world for the better. What are you waiting for? Such a, such a good question, though, because what motivates people? I mean, does like an inspirational quote motivate someone or does personal experience motivate someone? Because what you say is absolutely true. We all have power in our hands to do things, change mm. things. But yeah. And it's the information. Like we live in this information age where my fear, my greatest fear is that our generation, you know, will be looked on as having the information at our fingertips and the truth at our fingertips, but not doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. It's a really good question. It's a lovely question and it probably deserves its own theme or topic, I don't know, or a dedicated show. But you know, I thought it was a nice one to finish on. So here we are, end of season two. Did you want to talk about what's going to happen in season three? Yeah, so we're taking a few weeks off and uh, I've already started recording interviews with people for season three and it's going to be another really fantastic collection of interviews. I'm hoping to record another listener chat with a lovely listener from Melbourne. And I think I'm thinking further ahead, but I'm very interested in kind of doing a different format for one of the seasons this year. Um, I don't know if you've listened to Big Magic, Liz Gilbert's podcast but I loved that format and I'm kind of considering doing something like that maybe in season four so I don't know I'm just loving working seasonally feels like I've got a lot more freedom and flexibility to to do a little bit more with the show and again working ahead has given me a lot more creativity and spark Mm. I think with this work Mm. so uh we will be back the first Thursday in May and of course, the slow post will be going out in the interim and you can connect with us on Instagram as always. So if you haven't signed up to the slow post, it's over at slowyourhome.com slash slow post. And the show notes to today's episode, as always, will be over at slowyourhome.com slash season two. It's particularly cool how like we've finished our North American slow experiment. Season two's finished. Going back to Australia, season three. A new beginning. A new hope. <laughs> Trademarked. <laughs> it's amazing. So until May, I hope you have a wonderful month. Thanks for listening, thank guys. You, yeah, thank you for listening. Bye. So you're saying long-term toll, <laughs> tolls. Tolls, long-term, long-term tolls. tolls. They suck. Long-term yeah. tolls are very bad. Eastern, toll, Eastern state tolls in America are ridiculous. <laughs>
you remember that day that we spent like $55 driving through New York State? It was a hundred, it was more than a hundred dollars. 